So this is the third message from the book of Ephesians. And, and we've looked at our identity in Christ, the children. Oh. <laughs> Bye, guys. We love you. We love you. It's my fault. You guys are awesome. I'm consistent. That's one thing I work for is consistency. What you see is what you get. What you say? Same, same record as the Redskins. I'm done. <laughs> That's truth. Oh, that one hurts. That's, oh. And it probably like the kids are probably waiting there. Like I wait for the Redskins to win on Sunday and they never do. And the kids are probably waiting there for me to say go and I never do. Next week. That's what I say for the Redskins too. <laughs> so week one, we looked at our identity in Christ. Who are we in Jesus Christ? Last week we talked about salvation being a work of God and not a work of man. And today we're going to continue in Ephesians and we're going to look at how we are one in Christ. Remember the church in, in Ephesus had both Jews and Gentiles. There was a divide that existed. Maybe it was one in the mind. Maybe it was one by, by looking at someone and saying we are different. Maybe when you looked at that video and, and saw the way the man was dressed or the tattoos, it caused you to, to think something different. But the fact is, whether Jew or Gentile, if you are saved, we are one in Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what we're going to look at today. There are different issues when you bring cultures together. But we are one in Jesus Christ. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 11 and we're going to read through verse 22. Therefore, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Let me read that again. For he, referring to Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to the God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers, aliens, strangers and aliens, 
For you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we ask, Lord, that you would clearly communicate your truth this morning. Father, may the words that we read from your holy book that you have given us, Father, may those words make sense. Father, may we understand what you're trying to say. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us truth. May we always go to your truth and not our truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the beginning. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. So Paul here is addressing the Gentiles or those who are not Jews. The term the uncircumcised, the uncircumcision was actually a type of slur that would be used to refer to the Gentiles because they were not circumcised, right? It's the same thing that we see uh, in 1 Samuel 17, 26, when David is talking to Goliath, right? And, and here's what David said, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Right? It's that same thing that he's saying here. And Paul's saying, listen, he starts off with this. This is how you've been known, right? As the uncircumcised. And now you're going to be brought into the body of Christ. But I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. It's a reminder that they are different than the Jews. But Paul also points out here that circumcision is an act of the hands, which is made in the flesh by hands. What Jesus did was something that was going to change the soul, not just the body. you remember just a little bit before this we talked about how salvation was not done by any work of man but by a work of God right when Jesus died on the cross it's not about how good I can do and we're going to talk about that through this again because it's it's it's, it's a continual theme in the book of Ephesians but especially in this chapter and he says listen this is this is how you were known because of circumcision but but circumcision doesn't save you Jesus saves you Remember that you were, at the time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul reminds the Gentiles they were not included in the nation of Israel and that they were also separated from Christ which would be all lost people. They were not part of the covenants that God had promised Israel. And now we th read three words that should cause each and every one of us to shudder. It's the word separated from Christ. Separated from Christ. Is there any place in the world that you could possibly be that's worse than being separated from Christ? I don't think so. And Paul said, this is where you were. If you're separated from Christ, you have no hope. You have no life. You have no truth. You have no light. 
You know, I, I truly believe, we, we, people talk about how we live in a post-Christian world. I don't know if you've heard that term before, um, especially our nation. But, but I truly believe that people are looking for hope. They're just not exactly sure where to find it. There are people, when we go to the grocery store, when you drive out and go home, if you stop and get gas, that you'll look at, you'll encounter who do not know Jesus Christ. They're separated from Christ. They're without God, and they're without hope. But you and I have the answer. God's given it to us. Because we were also, at one point in our lives, without hope. We were also, at one point in our lives, separated from Christ. But so many times, we're silent on it. We have the answer. And we're silent on it. You know, one of the things for me that, that I always feel is, is a great way to witness to someone, and this is no pressure, Lizzie, but when you're on a plane, right? They're stuck. They can't go anywhere, right? They're stuck there. The only thing they can do, everybody puts on their headphones now, but if you get them before they put their headphones on. But you know, there's times I've been sitting on a plane and I thought I should witness to this person and I don't say anything. And I get off the plane and I think to myself, you dummy, you had a chance to say something. Why didn't you? And I think that's something that happens in all of our lives. The Lord puts someone on our heart, and maybe we ignore it. Or maybe you actually follow through, and I think of the great conversations I've had on planes with people who are stuck with their seatbelt. Pilot puts a seatbelt light on, they're not going anywhere, right? And we get to have great conversations about God, about His truth, the only truth, and about their soul. But do we live lives like people are actually lost? I believe Satan is so deceiving that as so many people are searching for truth, he's convinced them that truth is found in many places. I remember a conversation I had with a man who professed to be a believer. And I remember him telling me, Tony, I believe that, that Jesus is a way to heaven but there are, but there are many ways and they all lead you to you know they'll all lead you there at one point but I believe that that Jesus is one way and if that's your perspective this morning I understand why you don't tell people about Jesus but you're dangerously mistaken and you're dealing with eternity Acts 4:12, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not I am one of the ways and, and, and a part of the truth and some of the life. No, there's one way, there's one truth, and one life, and that's Jesus Christ. And these Gentiles, at one point in their lives, were separated from Jesus. Just like this world that we look out and we see. And the question is, like Paul writing to them with this sense of urgency and explaining this is who you were and this is who you are. Do we communicate God's truth with people today? I don't know if you ever heard of Barna Research Group before. Um, 
But they did a survey, 2018, 2019, where they asked Christians um, this statement, this statement. Is it wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith with hopes that they will one day share the same faith? Do you understand what I'm saying? So is it wrong to tell someone who believes something else, hoping that you're trying to bring them to what you believe, sharing with them what you consider to be the truth? 27% of Gen Xers, which would be up to the age 53, said that that's wrong. 47% of millennials up to age 34 said that that's wrong. That's crazy. To have the answer and to not believe we should tell people about it. There was an atheist professor one time who said that he, he did not get angry at all at Christians who would tell him about Jesus because he said, listen, if you think you have the answer for all eternity, why wouldn't you tell someone about it? And you and I have been entrusted with that today. Last week we had the Staniers, I almost said Stainers, Staniers with us. And they shared this quote, I, I love it. It says, this is Charles Spurgeon, right? I mean, look at that, that beard, right? Isn't that a pretty impressive beard? Here's what he says. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. How much does your heart ache for those with no hope? And do you see the need to share Jesus with people today? I hope you do. I hope you do, and I hope that if you didn't before you came in this morning, that the Lord has opened your eyes to the sense of urgency of, of what is truly going on. That there are people every day who are dying and who are going to hell. And you and I have the answer. And you and I can share that with them. When Paul talks about being separated from Christ, you know, he thinks of Gentiles, but one commentary I read said that it also would have included Jews who were separated, maybe had done something wrong and had been um, separated from the uh, covenant, uh, ones who were not worthy or had been lost due to the way that they had lived their lives. But then we get to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this is our message to those who are lost, is that this is where you were, and this is where you can be. Do you see a theme over the past three weeks? Right? Do you see a theme? Paul reminding them, this is where you were, and this is where you are today. You who were once far off have been brought near by what? What are those last three words? Let's read them together. Blood of Christ. That's what brought you near. The blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. You who were once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's Christ's blood that saves us. It's not our works that get us there. It's not how much help we put in at a local soup kitchen or how much volunteering we do at church. Those are great things. But they don't save you. Martin Luther said this, the most damnable and pernicious heresy 
that has ever plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God. We can't do it. We can't do it. Tony didn't bring himself close to God. The blood of Christ did that. I didn't wash myself of my sins. Christ did that. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The first chapter of Ephesians, we looked at two weeks ago. We have redemption through his blood. Hebrews 9.22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus died to forgive our sins. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. You know, we sang the song in Christ alone today. In Christ alone our hope is found. And that's what Paul is continuing to reiterate throughout this. Jesus is our peace, and he not only broke down the divide between God and man, but the divide that existed between Jew and Gentile. And if you look, it sees that he made us both one, Jew and Gentile. We are now one in Christ. We are unified in Christ. We are no longer separated. But we can be one in Christ. And we, you know, we, we look around the sanctuary today. And you see people from different countries, people that talk differently than you, think differently than you, vote differently than you, cheer for horrible football teams, but yet, if they've given their life to Christ, as you have, we might disagree on things, but we are one in Jesus Christ. We are one in Jesus Christ. Galatians 2, 23. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In verse 18, we have evidence of the Trinity through Jesus. We have access to the Spirit and God the Father. But then in verse 19, we have this, this concept of being citizens of heaven. You're now a part of the family of God, and if you've given your life to Christ, you're a born-again believer, the shed blood of Jesus has reconciled you to God, giving you access to the Father. 
And you're now a citizen and a member in the family of God. Thinking especially of those who were Gentiles, how much that must have meant to them sitting there. Looking over at those who were Jews and saying, wow, wow, we're one. We're one family. You know, when you're a citizen of a country or a nation or a household, family, most times you are very proud of that. Um, Whether you are from the United States or Bolivia or any other country, Mexico, Canada, whatever we have represented today, um, I, I remember growing up in Bolivia, many Americans who were there would proudly say that they were Americans. As a matter of fact, on the 4th of July, they would wonder what everybody else was going to do in Bolivia, <laughs> which was nothing because it wasn't their Independence Day, right? Um, but people I mean, really would think that. Is anybody else going to light off fireworks today? No, it's, it's, not, it's not their Independence Day. Um, but no matter what your passport says, If you're a believer, our number one allegiance is to the kingdom of God. See, we're all citizens there. Jews and Gentiles, male and female, all who have been born again. When you become a believer, you're made a new creation. Right Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're a new creation, and we're now a part of the family of God. We're adopted into the family of God. If you remember back in chapter 1, That's where our allegiance lies. First and foremost, above anywhere else, is to the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but that's something I am so thankful for. And while different people, different countries celebrate their Independence Day, In a way, we celebrate our Independence Day on Easter, don't we? When Jesus died to pay the penalty, well, Jesus rose again, right? That's our Independence Day. While we weren't probably saved on Easter, maybe you were, we rejoice that Jesus died and rose again, giving us the chance. Never again were Gentiles, the uncircumcised one, the outsiders, never again were they going to have to be called that because now they had the chance to be a part of the family of God. But, but, but let's go farther and ask ourselves this question. There's no longer this divide that exists, right? Jew and Gentile. So what can we do together? What could they do together now that they're one? They they didn't have to to function separately. What could they do as one? Using the gifts that God had given them to carry his message even farther. But you know, at times we divide our churches as well. Um, At times we treat people like second-class citizens at our churches as well. Um, Maybe by the way they dress, the way they talk, um, whether they like contemporary or traditional music, right? I mean, churches have split over that before. And we divide ourselves, and we don't have to. Verse 20, Paul explains what our foundation is. He says, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul goes on to explain, listen, okay, now you've been brought from being lost into the family of God. You're now one. And here's the foundation of your beliefs. It's laid by the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. You know, when you look at the word prophet, sometimes we think Old Testament prophets. um, But this is probably referring to those in the New Testament. Probably referring to those in the New Testament. As well as the apostles. But, But see... When Paul is writing this, he's not trying to tell us that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of everything. Because in 1 Corinthians 3.11, he writes, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is our ultimate foundation. But the church grows through the revelation of Christ being shared by the apostles and the prophets. And what they're communicating and spreading the word of God. But Jesus is our cornerstone, our foundation. The one who never changes. Isn't it nice to know that your foundation never changes? There's a website I like to use um, while studying. It's called Got Questions. And uh, it just has a lot of good answers. Again, you don't always agree with everything, but it's a, a website on different theological things. And, and this is what it says about cornerstone, about Jesus being the cornerstone. It says, In ancient building practices, the cornerstone was the principal stone placed at the corner of the edifice. The cornerstone was usually one of the largest, the most solid, and the most carefully constructed of any in the edifice. Jesus describes himself as a cornerstone that his church would be built upon, a unified body of believers, both Jew and Gentile. See, Jesus is our cornerstone. Everything rests on him. The most important piece, Christ alone, is our cornerstone. He's our life, our Savior, our truth. And Paul closes with this in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're joined into one family, one body. The living body of believers. A holy temple. One is is to be set apart. One that is righteous because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. And when you look around the room this morning, you see people that that look different than you, that talk different than you, that smell different than you, that cheer for different football teams or, or have different preferences, that like to eat this food or like to eat that food. But when you look across the room, if they've given their life to Jesus Christ, you can shake their hand and call them brother and sister. And there's something special about that. About knowing that we're not just a group of friends that meets once a week to pat each other on the back. That we're a family. You know, one of the things about being a family is that at times in life, when you truly deal with a family, life gets messy. Families are messy. 
But we thank the Lord that he is our foundation. The one in whom we can always trust, we can always go to. Christ alone is our cornerstone. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, once again, Lord, we we thank you for the chance we have to come before you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the foundation. Lord, that you are our cornerstone. Because you know that we would never be able to hold anything up by ourselves. Father, may you today work in each one of our lives. Father, for those who might not know you. May they have heard the message and the gospel and the truth this morning, Father, and may they turn to you. And for those of us this morning, Father, for those who who might struggle with, with being a part of one family and maybe do look down on others, Lord, may they not do that anymore. Father, may they realize that in Jesus we are one. And Father, may we love like a family. In Jesus' name we pray.